Part Ten of the Story of Mary MacLean. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Kristen Hughes. The Story of Mary MacLean by Mary MacLean. Part Ten. March Fifth. Sometimes I am seized with nearer, vivider sensations of love for my one friend, the anemone lady. She is so dear, so beautiful. My love for her is a peculiar thing. It is not the ordinary woman love. It is something that burns with a vivid fire of its own. The anemone lady is enshrined in a temple on the inside of my heart that shall always only be hers. She is my first love, my only dear one. The thought of her fills me with a multitude of feelings, passionate yet wonderfully tender, with delight, with rare, undefined emotions, with a suggestion of tears. Oh, dearest anemone lady, shall I ever be able to forget your beautiful face? There may be some long, crowded years before me. It may be there will be people and people entering and departing. But, oh, no, no, I shall never forget. There will be in my life always, always the faint, sweet perfume of the blue anemone, the memory of my one friend. Before she went away, to see her, to be near her, was an event in my life, a coloring of the dullness. Always, when I used to look at her, there would rush a train of things over my mind, a vaguely glittering pageant that came only with her, and that held an always vivid interest for me. There were manifold and varied treasures in this train. There were skies of spangled sapphire, and there were lilies and violets wet with dew. There was the music of violins, and wonderful weeds from the deep sea, and songs of troubadours and gleaming white statues. There were ancient forests of oak and clematis vines. There were lemon trees and fretted palaces and moss-covered old castles with moats and drawbridges, and tiny mullioned windows with diamond panes. There was a cold, glittering cataract of white foam, and a little green boat far off down the river, drifting along under drooping willows. There was a tree of golden apples, and a banquette in a beautiful house, with the melting music of lutes and harps and mulled orange wine in tall, thin glasses. There was a field of long, fine grass, soft as bat's wool, and there were birds of brilliant plumage, scarlet and indigo with gold-tipped wings. All these, and a thousand fancies alike, vaguely glittering, would rush over me when I was with the anemone lady. Always my brain was in a gentle delirium, my nerves were unquiet. It was because I loved her. Oh, there is not, there can never be another anemone lady. My life is a desert, a desert, but the thin, clinging perfume of the blue anemone reaches to its utter confines. And nothing in the desert is the same because of that perfume. Years will not fade the blue of the anemone, nor a thousand bitter winds blow away the rare fragrance. I feel in the anemone lady a strange attraction of sex. There is in me a masculine element, 
that when I am thinking of her arises and overshadows all the others. Why am I not a man? I say to the sand and barrenness, with a certain strained, tense passion, that I might give this wonderful, dear, delicious woman an absolutely perfect love. And this is my predominating feeling for her. So then it is not the woman-love, but the man-love, set in the mysterious sensibilities of my woman-nature. It brings me pain and pleasure mingled in that odd, odd fashion. Do you think a man is the only creature with whom one may fall in love? Often I see coming across the desert a long line of light. My soul turns toward it, and shrinks away from it as it does from all the lights. Some day, perhaps, all the lights will roll into one terrible white effervescence and rush over my soul and kill it. But this light does not bring so much of pain, for it is soft and silvery, and always with it is the soul of anemone. March 8th There are several things in the world for which I, of womankind and nineteen years, have conceived a forcible repugnance. Or rather, the feeling was born in me. I did not have to conceive it. Often my mind chants a fervent litany of its own that runs somewhat like this. From women and men who dispense odors of musk, from little boys with long curls, from the kind of people who call a woman's figure her shape, kind devil deliver me. From all sweet girls, from gentlemen, from feminine men, kind devil deliver me from black underclothing, and any color but white, from hips that wobble as one walks, from persons with fishy eyes, from the books of Archibald C. Gunter and Albert Ross, kind devil deliver me, from the soft, persistent, maddening glances of water-cart drivers, kind devil deliver me, from liesel thread stockings, from round, tight garters, from brilliant brass belts, kind devil deliver me from insipid sweet wine, from men who wear mustaches, from the sort of people that call legs limbs, from bedraggled white petticoats, kind devil deliver me, from unripe bananas, from bathless people, from a waistline that slopes up in the front, kind devil deliver me, from an ordinary man, from a bad stomach, bad eyes and bad feet, kind devil deliver me, from red note-paper, from a rhinestone-studded comb in my hair, from weddings, kind devil deliver me, from codfish balls, from fried eggplant, fried beefsteak, fried pork chops, and fried French toast, kind devil deliver me, from wax flowers off a wedding cake under glass, from thin-soled shoes, from tapeworms, from photographs perched up all over my house, kind devil deliver me from soft old bachelors and soft old widowers, from any masculine thing that wears a pale blue necktie, from agonizing elocutionists who recite, Curfew shall not ring to-night, and the lips that touch liquor shall never touch mine, from a Salvation Army singing hymns in slang, kind devil deliver me, from people who persist in calling my good body mere vile clay, from idiots who appear to know all about me, and enjoin me not to bathe my eyes in hot water, since it hurts their own, from fools who tell me what I want to do, kind devil deliver me, 
from a nice young man, from tin spoons, from popular songs, kind devil, deliver me, from pleasant old ladies who tell a great many uninteresting, obvious lies, from men with watch-chains draped across their middles, from some paintings of the old masters, which I am unable to appreciate, from side-saddles, kind devil, deliver me, from the kind of man who sings, oh, promise me, who sings at it, from constipated dressmakers, from people who don't wash their hair often enough, kind devil, deliver me, from a servant girl with false teeth, from persons who make a regular practice of rubbing oily mixtures into their face, from a bed that sinks in the middle, kind devil, deliver me, and so on and on and on, and in each petition I am deeply sincere, but kind devil, only bring me happiness, and I will more than willingly be annoyed by all these things. Happiness for two days, kind devil, and then, if you will, languishing widowers, liesel thread stockings, anything for the rest of my life. And hurry, kind devil, pray, for I am weary. March 9th it is astonishing to me how very many contemptible petty vanities are lodged in the crevices of my genius. My genius itself is one grand good vanity, but it is not contemptible. And even those little vanities, though they are contemptible, I do not hold them in contempt by any means. I smile involuntarily at their absurdness sometimes, but I know well that they have their function. They are peculiarly of my mind— my humanness, and they are useful therein. When this mind stretches out its hand for things, and finds only wilderness and nothingness all about it, and draws the hand back empty, then it can only turn back, like my soul, to itself, and it finds these innumerable little vanities to quiet it and help it. My soul has no vanity, and it has nothing, nothing to quiet it. My soul is wearing itself out eating itself away. These vanities are a miserable substitute for the rose-colored treasure that it sees a great way off, and even imagines in its folly that it may have, if it continues to reach after them. Yet the vanities are something. They prevent my erratic analytical mind from finding a great nothing when it turns back upon itself. If I were not so unceasingly engrossed with my sense of misery and loneliness— my mind would produce beautiful, wonderful logic. I am a genius, a genius, a genius. Even after all this you may not realize that I am a genius. It is a hard thing to show. But for myself I feel it. It is enough for me that I feel it. I am not a genius because I am foreign to everything in the world, nor because I am intense, nor because I suffer. One may be all of these— and yet not have this marvellous perceptive sense. My genius is because of nothing. It was born in me as germs of evil were born in me, and mine is a genius that has been given to no one else. The genius itself enables me to be thoroughly convinced of this. It is hopeless, never-ending loneliness. My ancestors, in their highlands, some of them, were endowed with second sight. My genius is not in the least like second sight. That savors of the supernatural, the mysterious. My genius is a sound, sure, earthly sense, with no suggestion of mystery or occultism. 
It is an inner sense that enables me to feel and know things that I could not possibly put into thought, much less into words. It makes me know and analyze with deadly minuteness every keen, tiny damnation in my terrible lonely life. It is a mirror that shows me myself, and something in myself in a merciless, brilliant light, and the sight at once sickens and maddens me and fills me with an unnamed woe. It is something unspeakably dreadful. The sight, for the time, deadens all thought in my mind. It freezes my reason and intellect. Logic cannot come to my aid. I can only feel and know the thing, and it analyzes itself before my eyes. I am alone with this. Alone, alone, alone. There is no pitiful hand extended from the heights. There is no human being. Ah, there is nothing. How can I bear it? Oh, I ask you, how can I bear it? March 10th My genius is an element by itself, and it is not a thing that I can tell in so many words, but it makes itself felt in every point of my life. This book would be a very different thing if I were not a genius, though I am not a literary genius. Often people who come in contact with me and hear me utter a few commonplace remarks feel at once that I am extraordinary. I am extraordinary. I have tried longingly, passionately, to think that even this sand and barrenness is mine. But I cannot. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it, like all good things, is beyond me. It has something that I also have. In that is our bond and sympathy. But the sand and barrenness itself is not mine. Always I think there is but one picture in the world more perfect in its art than the picture of me in my sand and barrenness. It is the picture of the Christ crucified with two thieves. Nothing could be more divinely appropriate. The art in it is ravishingly perfect. It is one of the few perfect pictures set before the world for all time. As I see it before my mind, I can think only of its utter perfectness. I can summon no feeling of grief at the deed. The deed and the art are perfect. Its perfectness ravishes my senses. And within me I feel that the picture of me in my sand and barrenness, knowing that even the sand and barrenness is not mine, is only second to it. March 11th Sometimes, when I go out on the barrenness, my mind wanders afar. Today it went to Greece. Oh, it was very beautiful in Greece. There was a wide, long sky that was vividly, wonderfully blue, and there was a limitless sea that was gray and green, and it went far to the south. The sky and the sea spread out into the vast world, two beautiful elements, and they fell in love with each other. And the farther away they were, the nearer they moved together, until at last they met and clasped each other in the far distance. There were tall, dark green trees, of a kind that are seen only in Greece. They murmured and whispered in the stillness. The wind came off from the sea and went over them and around them. They quivered and trembled in the shy, ecstatic joy, for the wind was their best beloved. There were banks of moss of a deep emerald color, and golden flowers that drooped their heavy, sensual heads over to the damp black earth. And they also loved each other, 
and were with each other and were glad. Clouds hung low over the sea and were dark gray and heavy with rain, but the sun shone from behind them at intervals with beams of bronze and copper. Three white rocks rose up out of the sea, and the bronze and copper beams fell upon them, and straightway they were of gold. Oh, how beautiful were those three gold rocks that came up out of the sea! Aphrodite once came up out of this same sea. She came gleaming with golden hair and beautiful eyes. Her skin glowed with tints of carmine and wild rose. Her white feet touched the smooth yellow sand on the shore. The white feet of Aphrodite on the yellow sand made a picture of marvelous beauty. She was flushed in the joy of new life. But the bronze and copper sunshine on the three white rocks was more beautiful than Aphrodite. I stood on the shore and looked at the rocks, my heart contracted with the pain that beautiful things bring. The bronze and copper in the wide gray and green sea. This is the gateway of heaven, I said to myself. Behind those three gold rocks there is music and the high notes of happy voices. My soul grew faint. And there is no sand and barrenness there, and no nothingness, and no bitterness, and no hot, blinding tears. And there are no little heart-weary children, and no lonely young women. Oh, there is no loneliness at all. My soul grew more and more faint with thinking of it. And there is no heart there, but that is pure and joyous and in peace, in long, still, eternal peace. And every life comes there to its own, and every earth cry is answered, and every earth pain is ended, and the dark spirit of sorrow that hangs always over the earth is gone, gone beyond the gateway of heaven. And more than all, love is there and walks among the dwellers. Love is a shining figure with radiant hands, and it touches them all with its hands, so that never-dying love enters into their hearts and the love of each for another is like the love of each for self. And here at last is truth. There is searching and searching over the earth after truth, and who has found it? But here it is, beyond the gateway of heaven, those who enter in know that it is truth at last. And so peace and love and truth are there behind the three gold rocks, and then my soul could no longer endure the thought of it. Suddenly the sun passed behind a heavy dark gray cloud, and the bronze and copper faded from the three rocks, and left them white, very white in the wide water. The yellow flowers laid their heads drowsily down on the emerald moss. The winds from off the sea played very gently among the motionless branches of the tall trees. The blue, blue sky— and the wide grey-green sea clasped each other more closely and mingled with each other and became one vague shadowy element, and from it all I brought my eyes back thousands of leagues to my sand and barrenness. The sand and barrenness is itself an element, and I have known it a long, long time. End of Part 10